Kenzie's face again. Gets the pass away for Yes, a very good morning, good afternoon or good evening whenever you may be listening to this official All Blacks podcast proudly brought to you by Vodafone with the soothing funky tunes of 660 tickling our eardrums. Good on your mates and eat all your host today. And joining me in the hot seat, the man needs no introduction but I'm going to give him one anyway. <laughs> 79 test All Black, New Zealand Order of Merit inductee, 104 kilos dripping wet and he's all the way from Carmo. Ian Jones, thank you so much for your time, mate. Yeah, kia ora, Ants. Thanks for the opportunity to come onto this podcast, and um, hello to all the listeners out there. <laughs> mate, 104 kilos dripping wet. <laughs> I, I got that from Wikipedia. Obviously, you haven't strapped on the boots for a long time. Is that still correct? Uh, no, it's not still correct. I think I peaked at 106, but to Ants, for me to get to 106, there was a lot of, I had to drink a lot of water before weigh-ins. I used to, like, lay my pockets down with coins and... Yeah. Three or four layers are closed. So, yeah, 104 is probably technically more correct. 106 is what we used to write down. But as we speak right now, yeah, because uh, I do a lot of training, I do a lot of endurance training, I, I, would you believe I'm 94 kgs? You probably would because the skinny kind of rake uh, <laughs> comes in. But uh, this is me now, 94 kgs. So when I get up and people introduce me as uh, a former All Black, people that don't know the All Blacks look yeah. at this guy and go, Really? <laughs> Mate, 94 kilos, you're nipping at my heels, I'm, a, I'm close to the ton, uh, which is disgusting, but I've obviously, this is a big ball of blubber, mate, the ectomorph body. Um, you know, you played back in the day, um, and you were skinny, mate, but the physicality you actually brought to the team was incredible. Yeah, well, I had some, some tough people around me, you know, I had Robin Brook on one side, and Olo and Craig, or Shawnee, or Richard Lowe, or Steve McDowell, you know, yeah. these kind of tough guys, Buck Shelford behind me, these tough people... Around, so I was kind of allowed to do my thing, and coaches and you know, absolutely appreciate uh, them picking me and continuing to believe in me. They allowed me to do kind of what I did. So I'm not sure there's ever real physicality, but um, I never went into a game, Ants, and this is absolutely 100% true, uh, ever thinking I wasn't big enough. Yeah. You know, you look against these monsters who are standing you know, beside you in the line out, or you, you have to kind of take them on uh, and tackle. I never. In my mind, I thought I was their size, Yeah, and I think that got me through. Mate, it's been a funny old year with uh, COVID being the massive speed bump and uh, everything, uh, you know, it's been on the tip of our tongue. We didn't even think we were going to be playing rugby this year, and, you know, the Mitre 10 Championship, we've seen what the Tanifas have just done, mate. They're probably on a four-day bender right now. They've put on five kilos just in yeast. It is the off-season. It's well-deserved. But what a weird year it has been, mate. As a rugby stalwart and a man that gives so much back to the rugby community, Where's your head at? What a, you know, it's been, it's had its ups and downs. You've just opened up the All Blacks experience at Sky City. Uh, the Tony Fars have just played the final and the ABs have in quarantine. It's been a wacky year. It's been a wacky year, but rugby will always find a way and it's the sport we love. Yeah. And uh, when you love something, you always make sure you can do it, right? And so hats off to everyone involved from the cleaners at the clubs right through to, you know, Mark Robinson, the CEO of New Zealand Rugby. Everyone kind of did their bit to find a way and right when it hit back in March and you know the Heartland unions put their hands up and said hey we're going to take you know the, the Heartland off this year and just concentrate on club rugby that was a sign that that's where it all starts you know and a big acknowledgement to all of those people so we got the club season up and running that was number one in this, yeah. this country this is where it all starts you know if we want this high peak ants we've got to have this big big base right uh, so it happened and from that it just had to flow on it flowed on to Super Rugby, which we saw. It flowed on to the uh, NPC, which is amazing. And then 
to the All Blacks, but you know, rugby found a way. Carmo, do you think in a weird way we were lying on that surgery table and we've been resuscitated because Super Rugby Aotearoa has been just incredible. The Mitre 10 um, franchises are playing the best code we've seen in a long time. We've seen full crowds. The fizz is back in New Zealand rugby. Yeah, maybe in a funny old way, but it's, it's not just been rugby. Families have kind of regenerated yeah. themselves too. And uh, hey, we like each other and let's go and do these cool things together, which is great too. Rugby has... Once we said found a way, and yeah, I think it has because we needed community, we needed togetherness, you know, and, and that's what rugby is. Yeah. It's community, you know, you're like minded people doing something that we love, whether you're playing the game, coaching the game, or just supporting the game. We had to come together, and uh, hell, when Eden Park started selling out, or down in Wellington or Hamilton started getting crowds, we all wanted to go along and be part of those crowds and that the excitement. So, yeah, our challenge, like it always is, Ants is to make sure that we step up to the next level yeah. next year and keep bettering ourselves and not just kind of rely on that's going to happen again. And that's that's what we are so good at in New Zealand. We've had ups and downs, peaks and troughs, but we're, all, we're inventors. Yeah. And we'll keep reinventing ourselves, and I'm looking forward to next year already. Mate, what you've been so good at is giving back to the New Zealand public, and you've always got fingers and pies. You're peppering our ears uh, weekly with Sky, Sky Rugby, which is just fantastic. <laughs> you've also had uh, played a massive role in this new All Blacks experience that's opened up at Sky City. What is this new All Blacks experience, mate, and why is it so good? For the greater rugby community. Yeah, really proud of this. This is a joint venture between the New Zealand Rugby Union and Naitahu. So come together and this beautiful legacy to the players, all players that have worn a black jersey, all blacks, black ferns, New Zealand Māori, sevens. So everyone who's represented Aotearoa, their legacy has been now put into an all black exhibition called All Black Experience. And it's a journey really through rugby and the how do you make and all black, and that's our club environment. And no matter who you are, Rich McCall, Colin Meads, you know, Kieran Reid, you've started a club. Yeah. And that, that club is really where our parents and our coaches sell us their love of the game. And once we have the love of the game, we can do anything. So that's how do you make an all black, and then we take them on a journey to shape. How do you shape an all black? How do you, from your skills and passion, how to be reach the top and then being yeah. and what's it like being an all black and it's give people the opportunity to kind of put that jersey on that cloak of armor that superman cape and sit in that shed yeah and think about those moments two or three minutes before kickoff when shit's about to get real and you walk down this tunnel and pause and reflect and then bang hit Mate. hit the hit the field and and you get to face the all black hacker which is just overwhelmingly emotional yep. um, we had All Blacks through there the last couple of days and it's taken these people back to that that moment where the hairs are standing on the back of their neck they're ready for action they're ready for battle representing uh, New Zealand and, and that's really why it's so special it's a legacy of all the people and not just the players ends, it's their families as well yeah uh, and there's some amazing, amazing attractions that, that people are just going to be drawn to. Mate, I walked through it yesterday, illegally. I had a little bit of a guide from Rosie. She's a lovely girl. And um, I walked into the locker rooms, and I was, I, I was overawed. It was beautiful. The whole thing is nice and sleek. You feel like you're in all black, you know. But one thing that was actually missing, I don't know if you guys can do any extensions or renovations on it, uh, when I worked down for the Crusaders, my first uh, port of call was actually going to the, the, the bogs, um, and seeing where Richie McCaw used to perch on his throne before he used to go out and play on the field, mate. Why was that not added to the to the to the changing rooms? <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good point. 
That is a very good point. And Richie was part of our players' advisory panel. He never wanted the throne <laughs> that Sir Richie McCall kind of sat on before he went out to battle. But are you sure he did? Well, I'm not sure. I know Mertz was would have been a big fan of that, you know, having a few nervous ones before we go out. But, mate, all I wanted to do was walk into that All Black experience and sit down and have my photo taken where the ABs would have done that before a test. Yep, and that's what you feel. You feel that moment sitting there and the guys will tell you through what's happening generally. I always think there's this kind of nervous energy yeah. about an All Black changing sheds. We don't want to see All Blacks running around ranting and raving and kind of trying to pop themselves up. That's because they're not kind of composed. What you want to see is just control, right? Yeah. As soon as you get out there, they can unleash. That I love, the changing rooms. I love, we've got this beautiful wall, and that hopefully families of All Blacks can find their relatives, Ao Manawa, it's called, so this flowing wall from... James Allen, All Black number one, right through to uh, Hodgman, All Black number 1,190. He is this wall. It's all these names on it, which is amazing. And and there's this legacy wall. I'll, I'll, there's so much we can talk about, Ants, but the legacy wall just shows you the domination of the All Blacks. When we put down on paper how good the All Blacks are, and you might see a figure, you know, 78%, and yeah. you what the hell's that? You know, but when you see it and colour coded, we've got these studs, black studs for an yeah. all black win, you know, yellow for a, a wallaby win, green for a springboard win, et cetera, et cetera. You just see a wall of black. Yeah. And that's what 78% or whatever our win record is. It's incredible. Absolutely. And it's a very incredible. proud moment for anyone to kind of see the all blacks from 1903 through. To today, mate. The attention to detail. I must. Uh, I must applaud you guys because I walked into the locker room once again, and the first thing that hit my nostrils was the smell of liniment. Uh, that is deep heat, and you know what? It took me back to my playing days. You know, Pakaranga Piranhas under 12s. That's my last game I played there, and mate, it just it, it's over all um, all your senses. And um, was that? Did you have a role in playing in that? Uh well, we we yes, we all had roles on, on playing and how we wanted to do it. And you would have heard. In the background, some kind of sprig noises. They're all real noises. They weren't done in a sound studio like we're sitting in. Yeah. So they they're actually recorded in an All Black test match. Another, they are the real life sounds of the current day All Blacks getting ready for a test match. So that's what you're hearing in the background. So the sound engineering is very very clever, and you have got the knock on the door, which is a current All Black manager, Darren Shan. Yeah. You know, two minute gentleman, and that's when you. And the heart starts to race just a little bit more and the tension starts to kind of build. And then there's another knock on the door and that's when you it's time have to, go. to walk down the tunnel. And hopefully you also noticed, Ants, when you walked down the tunnel, the temperature just drops yep. quite a few degrees. And that's kind of once more anxiety levels go through the roof. Mate, there was heavy breathing in the tunnel. And like you said, they've got it. It feels like you're just about to play your first test match for the ABs. It's incredible, mate. Then you take to the line on the field, and you've got to face the all-black hucker. Now, um, Kieran Reid, he's a scary individual when you see that, and they've amplified the sounds. You can feel every clap of the, you know, the slap of the hands on the knees. TJ Perinara's eyes are rolling in the back of his head, you know, his tongue looks like a slithering Komodo dragon's tongue, you know. It is scary, mate. It is absolutely scary. If you're taking your kids there, please hold <laughs> their hand, because there might be a few tears. It's emotional. I mean, there's only a few people in the world who are privileged enough to face an all-black hucker the ones who have played against uh, the All Blacks, and they honour that uh, that privilege um, all the way through their rugby careers. And now us New Zealanders have the opportunity to stand on that white line, once more recorded at a game that was recorded in Hamilton last year before Versus Tonga, wasn't the it? All Blacks played Tonga. So when you walk out and the All Blacks are standing facing you, they're actually watching the Tonga 
Haka, yeah. the Tonga Challenge. So that kind of builds everything up, right? And just the week leading into that Hamilton Test match, the All Blacks have been on the East Coast doing a training camp and did some Haka training the week leading up to that game. Uh, but it's just a real-life Haka. It's n- yeah. nothing cliched or done once more in a, in a green screen. CJ Piranag going nuts. I love Aaron Smith. I love Cody Taylor. At the f- oh. I love them all. You know, and then you, you need to take a moment when it's finished just once more just to calm yourself down. Our responses answer to that haka has been overwhelming. Some have challenged the haka back, which has been brilliant to see. Others have had tears in their eyes because of the power of it. Others have actually just had to take a step back and go, wow, I just don't want to move for a minute or two because it's just so, so powerful and so real. And the most important thing, I hope this is what people Fine, which is why it had to be player-driven. This is a legacy, as I yep. said at the start, of the players. And for it to be player-driven, it had to be authentic. This is the all-black way. All the values of the all-blacks, humility, unity, you know, humbleness, hard work, etc., etc. And those values, I think, come through, and the, the design team have done an incredible job of turning our words and our thoughts into the story, which is all-black experience. Carmo, the All Black experience is all about the legacy, um, the history of the black jersey. Um, you know, you guys are facing up that haka. What about seeing yourself um, from the 1990s, um, facing yourself in that haka? You know, would it be the same sort of emotion? Would we, would, would we still be feeling that same kind of mana from the, the, the men in black? Embarrassingly, <laughs> no. And, and I've, I've often talked to... You know, the, the, my opposition over the years, and, and, and no, I'm not sure I was the most uh, frightening, fearful warrior yeah. that ever represented New Zealand or the All Blacks. But for me, it was also just a, I was a real process guy, right? And the haka had so much importance to me, but it was also another kind of tick in my preparation for the game, you know, did all the, the preparation leading up to it and preparation yeah. on game day, and then the haka. And then the anthems and or the anthems and the haka and then bang 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 I was ready to go so that was really important for me to do the haka and terms of my preparation but no our timing was out I'm no not a great pukana at all <laughs> um, you know my long limbs slapping like a seagull I'm yeah you sure probably had was, a, you you hitting your mates yeah. in the head and the flanks yeah but luckily for me I had either Buck Shelford or Zinzan Brook leading it yeah. you know so they were the warriors yeah and I was somewhere at the back doing my bit. Oh, mate, you're doing a great job, and thank you so much for um, erecting this um, this all-black experience for the greater public. It is, it's incredible, and I recommend it for anybody who wants to take their family there. It's, uh, it leaves you in absolute awe. Yeah. So good on you, mate. And it's a 45-minute guided tour. Our guides are incredible. I've taken a lot of former players um, through them with the guides so they can share their stories yeah. with the guides. It's really important, I think, that the guides understood who we were, yeah. who the all-blacks are. Um, and just before we finish on this, and we've done countless interviews with both current and former players, and the two, I think, well, there's three, but two common denominators that came through from all the players was the importance um, of their families and their success, yeah. in particular for the Māori and Pacifica, their grandparents and influence of that wider whānau. Uh, so that was really important for any families going through to help them. And the second one, which really struck me, certainly our greats of the games, like Ian Kirkpatrick and Sir Michael Jones and Brian Williams, those kind of people, they are All Blacks. They're not ex-All Blacks at yeah. all. They live every day like an All Black. And that's kind of one of the strengths of why this team is so good, 
is that our players live those values yeah. every day. So Brian Williams walks down the street, he's as recognisable as a Bowden Barrett, as a Dan Carter. 100%. People respect him as an All Black and because he lives those values, every All Black underneath him or behind him lives the same values, which is why we have success, I yeah. believe, that we do. 100%. Um, let's talk about your family and your upbringing, mate, and the values that were instilled in your life at a young age. You're a, a Carmo boy, a string bean, um, you know, wh- what did you do? What school did you go to? Did your, your dad chuck a, a, a pig skin in your hands and goes, hey, mate, you're going to be representing New Zealand one day? Or did you just play with the kids on the block and uh, never really think about representing your country in the black jersey? I uh, so I grew up in Whangarei in a suburb, clearly, uh, Carmo. Uh, <laughs> an amazing street uh, called Fisher Terrace and... Yeah. Um, just a normal house, uh, but on my left-hand side, very good friend today and a, a, an amazing family friend. I had Blythe Tate, the equestrian yeah. rider, so world champ, Olympic champ, was on one side. Uh, a guy who really instigated most of our fitness early on was a guy called Brian Maunsell. Brian Maunsell was a fitness trainer uh, for the 1976 Olympic hockey team that won gold. Um, straight opposite on the street was a guy called Brian Young, yeah. uh, New Zealand cricketer, uh, double century maker. Uh, it was fantastic. Angela Brackenbridge was to to Brian's left hand side, and she represented New Zealand at table tennis. Uh, so we're the street where, and it's just a little normal street, right? Within the space of about five or six um, houses, all these people went on to represent New Zealand. So that was my upbringing. I was the youngest of, I uh, had two older brothers. As you would have been busy, mate, riding horses yeah. next door, doing throwdowns at one place and then table tennis. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and, <laughs> and Brian Walsall, he was an early adopter way back in the day when it wasn't even a thing of interval or fartlek training. We would train all the time with this amazing guy. Um, and those kind of values were, were very early on. I played lots of sports. Swimming was one of my first passions and, and still is a real passion of mine. So swimming, I think, gave me a great endurance base. It yeah. gave me a great flexibility base. So never had any kind of major injuries in my career. And I think, in my mind anyway, a lot of that was stemmed back to swimming. And, yeah, just an amazing supportive family. My great-great-uncle was a guy called Bunny Finlayson, uh, out of the Kama Rugby Club, was an all-black in 1924 to 1926. So we always, and I don't know why it was in our cupboard, but we always had his blazer in our house. It's yeah. now in the Karma Rugby Club on display. But there's always that, you know, that connection with rugby. The Finlayson had six brothers, um, all represented different provinces around New Zealand. So rugby was a big part of our family's life yeah. all the time, as sport was a big part of our family's life. And like I never kind of had any real desire to play for the All Blacks, but I had a real desire to represent New Zealand at a sport. Yeah. Uh, in the end, it happened. Well, it was to probably rugby. swimming first, wasn't it? Yeah, love to have gone to the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games. I mean, I wasn't good enough yeah. a, a, in the end, and, and you know. And surely you went a ride on the Olympic uh, on the athletics field as well, made big strides like it a gazelle. Took a long time to get going. <laughs> <laughs> 400, 800, These legs don't get going over, Hundy. Um, you did everything. Absolutely yeah. did everything, and, and but but got some opportunities and, and loved the team element of rugby. Love rugby, um, like our families, like everyone's families do, and. You know, um, started representing North Auckland about well, 21 years of age, 1988, yeah. and bang, away from That's there. That's brilliant. So, well, like, you, you're at school, your last year of school, your parents are going for the, the parent interviews. Um, you <laughs> get your report back. They say, Ian Jones is a 
What are they saying? Finish the sentence off. Could do better. <laughs> yeah. No ticker. Yeah. Oh, they had the ticker. Yeah. They had the ticker, just didn't have the skill. <laughs> no, I, God, I... My 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 uh, a my mother's a nurse and an amazing amazing lady. She's an incredible uh, lady, kind-hearted. Always did a volunteer work. Always did community work. You know what nurses do? Yeah. Nurses are incredible, incredible people. They're just amazing people. And I've 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 married a nurse, and which is weird because you kind of look like you married your mother. You know, you well, both. You always you always look for someone that <laughs> represents your mother. Yeah. I'm still struggling to, to find that. My mother's Strong, like mother Teresa. Independent lady. <laughs> my mother's a very independent lady. Um, father is, is was a, just a trade fit of welder, and then we owned a service station up north. And he, they're just supportive people. And my my parents would like everyone's parents would just support me and my brothers. Yeah. And I think what at the end of the day, I'm no. Actually, I'm not skillful at, at, at all. But what I did was worked yeah. real hard, and I think at the end of the day, that's actually what you need. I always say, ants people, we can teach people how to tackle, how to pass, how to run. Right? That's kind of skill to me is irrelevant. Yes. Most of the time, you get a superstar like a Carter, and bang, the world explodes, and you're the best in the world. Um, but for most of us, I think skills are relevant. If you have a work ethic yeah. and prepared to work harder than anyone else, you will succeed. So, Karma, you obviously toiled away, mate. Um, mistake after mistake, you kept on um, refining your skills. You're playing for North Auckland. Um, you're playing in a fantastic era. 87 to 88 and 89, the ABs are on an absolute tear. They're dominating world rugby. You get the call up to the ABs in 1990. You make your debut against Scotland down in Carisbrook. You get yourself a meat pie. Talk us through that whole process, mate. Who's tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, mate, you're in the locking stocks, and um, this is why we want you. Talk us through that whole experience, uh, playing your first test as well. Okay, and so I hate to be a corrector, but <laughs> I actually became an All Black in 1989. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So, so I became an All Black in 1989. We went on a 14-match uh, tour of Canada, firstly, yes, uh, Wales and Ireland. Um, so went to an All Black trial in 1989, um, straight out of North Auckland, I'd never, you know, hadn't done any super rugby. There was nothing yeah. there, but went okay in this trial. In 89, there was a whole group of young guys, including uh, myself, um, Graham Purvis, Steve Gordon, uh, Craig Guinness, uh, Matthew Ridge, uh, picked to go on this kind of this big tour by uh, Alex Griswoli. I played six midweek games, the locking pairs, and there was Murray Pierce and um, Gary Witten, so the incumbents. And that kind of, because I was a swimmer and because I was a goal-orientated type of guy, I made this amazing goal of becoming an all-black, but then I wanted to play a test. And then, you know, when you play tests, you want to play multiple tests and yeah. kind of hang around as much as you want. So keep reinventing yourself or resetting the goals. And so that kind of burnt my desire. And then in, at the end of, or the start of 1990, Murray Pierce, the incumbent, decided to go and play rugby in Natal. He went and played the Curry Cup. Yeah. And that clearly left a vacancy. Uh, there was myself and Marty Brook was a, another contender. At the time, we had a trial in Palmerston North. I was lucky enough to be the guy that got selected. And yeah, bizarre. So back then, uh, of course, there's the, the regulations by International Rugby that you could, the home side, could only meet on a Wednesday yeah. before a Saturday test match. Uh, but Grizz being Grizz, um, and this is the first test of the season, wanted to kind of, like Kiwis do, right? Try and bend the rules. 
And so my first test, we actually flew down on the Tuesday because Grizz said, hey, it's a gear fit out and it's Dunedin. So we flew down to Dunedin on the Tuesday, long flight, and I was with all these legends and this little fella from Northland, but I hardly knew these guys, right? Brilliant. I toured with them. Uh, but back then, the day that the young fellas met Walter Little was another new guy. We all just kind of sat together <laughs> and let the other fellas do their things. Um, and was there a massive hierarchy there? Oh, because like, you know, like, we, we, yeah. we hear all these stories of like going through the ranks, and you sit at, you sit at the front of the bus. Oh, you know? mate! Oh, we didn't speak to these <laughs> Gary Whitten for toured with them for ten weeks, and might have said hello once. Uh, and he's a you know a good friend, then good friend now. But we flew down the on, got there about the need about eight o'clock, and Grizz had arranged with the Otago NPC side with a scrum session under Carisbrook at nine thirty that night on the Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, outside the regulations. <laughs> so here we are, my first test match, you know, with all these these guys scrummaging at like nine thirty till ten p.m. on the Tuesday night. <laughs> Bizarre. Pass your bedtime as well. Bang. And the, yes, right. And then we trained Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, played um, Saturday. And, uh, incredible. An amazing, amazing um, memory. A, a test match goes quicker than any other yeah. time in your life. And, and that was the start of it. They took us through that first All Black Hacker. Well, I know we did some on the tour, of course. So, yeah. so it was with Buck on that first tour. And Buck kind of took all us young fellas and... Takes you out of your comfort zone, so you got to do the hucker with the team, and then he makes you do the hucker against the other guys. Yeah. Um, but you do your best, Dan. So <laughs> what can you do? Are you, you hiding? Are you hiding at the back? Absolutely. But 100%. you're still poking your nose up above everybody else as well. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I do. But then we did that hucker. Buck led it. Adrenaline is, is kind of racing, and the game went well. I yeah, I, I was managed on my funny. Scotland bookends my career in a funny old way. I mean, I played my first test against Scotland, scored a try. Yeah. I played my 50th test match against Scotland, also scored a try. In the same spot. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And my last test match, which, um, 79, you said, was against Scotland. Yeah. So, weird. Yeah, have you got some Scottish in you? you, you I do, you actually. I'm a, from the <laughs> Finless and the Mackay clan. So, yes, I do have a lot of Scottish and me and have a great connection with Waipu and and that area uh, up north. So yeah, maybe the script, that, the script was written perfectly, mate. Absolute it fairy tale. May well have been, mate. Let's just go through some uh, some of the years that you played because 1990, um, you know, you're losing some of your heavy hitters. I think going into 91 World Cup, um, the Wedding Brothers are still around. Is that correct? Yes, or, they, yeah, were. Yeah. they were. They um, were. And you're at Eden Park, and it's that famous uh, the moment where Phil Kens, uh, you know, runs over Fitzy and gives him the, flicks him the bird. And it just shows you how much that meant to the Australians to beat the Kiwis on our home turf at the Garden of Eden, mate. Talk us through that game because that sticks out like dog's balls for me, you know, as a kid. And it's, it's iconic. Oh, man. I, I, I said before, I hate to be a corrector. <laughs> oh, I got that wrong again. Yeah, you got that wrong again. That was the third test at Athletic Park in 1990. We were 2-0 we were, um, we up in the series. Yeah. Um, so won the first two test matches clearly, so we'd already put the Bledisloe Cup to bed. Not that it's an excuse. We went down to Athletic Park, and we should have buried them. But there's a funny story about that because I'm, <laughs> I, I, I am a little bit superstitious, and I hate omens, right? Yeah. And back then, the day, Athletic Park, for those ones who didn't know, that the changing sheds were small. You know, there was a, like a 40-watt light bulb in, in the shed, and about five minutes before we walked out on that occasion, 
believe it or not, that light bulb went out. <laughs> and we were in the dark for the two minutes before we walked out. And I looked at that light bulb going out and I thought, what's this about? And we went and played the game. Yes, uh, we mucked up a line out down the bottom left-hand corner. Phil Kern scored that try, etc., yeah. etc. Et but in my head, that whole game, I knew we were going to. I thought we were going to win it because we had Grant Fox, right? We'd get up there, we'd get a penalty. Foxy would kick it, and somehow we'd manage to sort of escape this nightmare with a win. We didn't. That there, that victory in 1990 for the Wallabies gave them all this confidence that actually they can beat the All Blacks, even though I don't think we're at our best personally that day. Yeah. And they did in 91. And the disappointing thing about 91, and we didn't have a great season in 91. We weren't a great All Black t- side. We really didn't kind of, I, I, I don't think, honour the jersey as well as we should have. The best we played in 91 was our loss to, to the Australians in, in, um, in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I take some solace from that. Okay, we gave us because we could that year, but uh, yeah, freaking gutting, man. Gutting. I, look, all, all my losses are, are gutting, yeah. um, but those World Cup ones just haunt me. A bloke that you, you played a lot of rugby with, and I just admire for, for what he did with the black jersey, but it was Michael Jones never playing on Sundays. Well, uh, what was that like, playing with a, like a rock star in a side that was coming through the ranks, but like the respect that you had for a man like Michael Jones to make a decision like that? Well, the first thing about Sir Michael Jones is he's a beautiful man. Before he's even the great athlete that he is and the, you know, the absolute vision, anticipation he has at a rugby player and the great um, that we see out there. And when you're playing with the greats of the world, Michael Jones and Zinzan Brook or Shawnee or whoever they may be, it actually makes you better. Yeah. You know, so you want those guys to be the superstars because it lifts your game up as well. But Sir, uh, Michael Jones was just, just a humble, hard-working respectful guy off the pitch. And so when, you know, you, you, when you're a young fella, you look at those people and say, yeah, that's how I want to be. That's how I have to treat people. And that's kind of your role model. So that's where Michael Jones came through, stuck to his beliefs, which we you know, tr- trusted and backed. And you know, coming from North Auckland, where we had Sid going, doing exactly the same, you understood exactly where he was through. And yeah, I, I, I loved Michael then, love Michael now, and I love what he's doing for New Zealand rugby. We're, uh, we're blessed to have a guy like him. Then you start transitioning into sort of 94, 95 World Cup stages, and you've got a few more established plays, players. Yourself is one of them. Australia's playing some vintage rugby. They're going well as well. And then you're coming into the professional area. Uh, South Africa, um, they're going through a lot of struggles back home with apartheid. Um, they you know, new to the New Zealand rugby world. You go over to South Africa and you play this 95 Rugby World Cup, mate. Josh Cronfell, we've had on the podcast before, mate, said it's it sticks out as one of the, the greatest and humbling experiences he's ever had in the all-black jersey. What was your experience of that 95 World Cup? Oh, it was a privilege to be there. Uh, we worked all damn hard to be there. And uh, the foundations for the way the all-blacks started to play in 95 was laid at this camp that Josh may have talked about with you as well, in, in Queenstown, where I absolutely 100% respect the coach at the time, Laurie Maines, for this. Very hard for anyone, coach, player, you know, CEO of a business, to change their thinking and change their ways. And and Laurie, through the 94, 93, 94 period, went through a lot of players and different you know, philosophies in the game. And then he got to the end of a not a very successful campaign in 94, no. to be fair, and said, how do you guys want to play the game? And we were allowed to write down our thoughts and you know, how we want it to, 
to be, and he collated all of those, came back the next day and, and believed in, in what the players wanted to play. But if you wanted to play like that, guys, you have to be fit. You have to be the fittest team in the world, and we work friggin' hard. I wasn't, I mean, I'm fairly fit at the moment. I was fairly fit during my All Black career. Never as fit as I was in 1995. We just worked so hard to allow us to play this expensive, high-speed, you know, high-energy style that nearly uh, got us through all the way to uh, winning the final, but that was the kind of foundation. So to go over there and to, to be with your best mates, you know, to be with guys that um, you know, you'll always uh, be very, very close to in that all-black team and to do what we did and get through to the final and, and you know, everyone's talked about the final um, and that, that that guts me every time I even think and talk about it. And everybody says, hey, what a wonderful for international rugby, what a wonderful thing for Springbok rugby. That's not my, how my mind thinks. Mate, that's for, I like that. I absolutely don't think like that. Yeah. And, and you got to respect them and say, hey, well done. Yeah. You guys absolutely nailed it on that day and shut down any uh, you know, strengths that we had, but far out, man. <laughs> If I could have my time again, I'd love to have another crack at that. Mate, that year, though, you had some of the, the best names in world rugby. Um, you know, Jonah Lomu had just come on, on the scene from 94. Um, they managed to stop him in that in their World Cup final. But, you know, Mark Ellis is another one who I just absolutely like as a, as a character. You know, I, look, I looked up to him. But, mate, what was it like playing with those guys? Um, because Jonah, he was incredible, wasn't he? Jonah was amazing over there. Was, look, none of us had ever seen it ever in our life. You know, you'd be kind of walk into the mall and Jonah would be kind of hanging with you. or, And then the Jonah would be mobbed, right? And we had other great, you know, Sean or Frank or Walter and these other superstars would kind of wander off by themselves or, you know, one of us would be kind of signing something and they'd see Jonah and they'd rip it out of your hand and go and do it to Jonah. But Jonah handled that so brilliantly. Um, amazing how he grew and saw him grow and playing with for the Chiefs and he was just a good man to be around. But yeah, we had some well we had when you're around good people you just you know, it lifts yeah. everything about what we do. So that was a great team. There were some superstars in there. But then over the years when you like a Christian Cullen comes into the team and then man, that he's another superstar. <laughs> I think I've never seen a guy play like him, but Jeff Wilson clearly in that team that we had with, with Jonah. I mean, what Walter Little could do or couldn't do up there is phenomenal. Shawnee, Sean Fitzpatrick was a great all-black, yeah. great all-black leader, um, great professional on and off the field, uh, was great for New Zealand rugby. But so was John Hart. John Hart was a good man for New Zealand rugby at the, the time after that uh, as well. He was, he was the right man for the right job. So, yeah, I was lucky my career coincided with some, some good men. And uh, I don't know, it's, been, it's almost taboo to talk about it, but the whole sort of food poisoning saga there uh, in the 95, were you part of that? Were you, oh, were you heck a bit yeah. Yeah, I was. So I was rooming with Rob, uh, Rob Brook, as I did pretty much <laughs> every time. Yeah. Um, me and him paired up, and he he had gone to McDonald's, actually, yeah. for lunch that day, and the rest of us kind of went into the room and... Meal, then, for, meal for champions. Yeah, all I reckon. <laughs> well, o o always sort of athlete over science, mate. Um, you know, when you're feeling crook or not feeling so good, go and eat some junk food, man. It, yeah. no it normally does a trick, right? You, you feel you feel okay again. But anyway, I was about one o'clock in the morning. That's when I started to feel sick, and, and Rob's sleeping like a baby. You know, he's just kind of out to it, and I'm only chundering at this stage. And I think, oh, you know, I got this biggest game in my life coming up in two days' time. I went and knocked on the. Doc's door at one 
o'clock in the morning because I wasn't feeling good. There was 18 other dudes in there. I said, wow, this is just So what did you crazy. eat? Crazy. Like, what was it? Is it mild butter chicken or was it? No, it was, only, it was chicken burgers or, or tea or coffee. Who yeah. knows? Uh, I don't know. But this was on the Thursday night. But we often talk about the food poisoning. But we'd had great hotel. We had a great service, great security. You know, we'd stayed at the back of this hotel for the kind of five weeks leading in to it. Went to Cape Town for the English game, came back, and they put us, changed our rooms to buy the car park. But also on that Thursday night, whilst the food poisoning was, their car alarms were going off all night, and the security couldn't be seen anywhere. Right, So even though we were food poisoned, we also couldn't sleep. Um, but on the Friday, uh, I started, and others, convinced yourself, hey, okay, got this World yeah. Cup final coming on. We've got to sort of, it's a mind game. You've got to kind of switch on. And whilst I didn't eat on the Friday, I did on the Saturday morning and then went to the game. And uh, we had our chances, mate. Honestly, we had our chances. Um, but but it does, it does throw a couple of big spanners at you just before the biggest game of your life. Yeah, it does. But you know, your mind can kind of overcome that. But yeah, and so I, I don't think about it every day. But now that you brought it up, I will be thinking about it for yeah. the next little while because I, I'd love to have won it. Uh, I know we've won it since, which is brilliant, and I'm, I'm a fan like anyone else, and I'm stoked uh, for that. But we had a good chance in 95, and we didn't. Mate, um, and then looking at the back end of your uh, your career, when did it ever dawn on you that you know your, the gas was running out of the legs, and um, you know you, you had a great you've had a great knock, 79 tests, 105 tests in the AB's jersey. Um, you know, that's a great stint, mate, um, especially someone that's playing, you know, from the non-professional era into the professional era. Yeah, um, uh, was the it, it was the money. It was the money baiting you a little bit, like when it started getting into the professional era? No, no. I mean, the, the money was nice, right? And yeah. The game went professional and it was, it was wonderful to be able to dedicate your whole time to the support you love. But coming from that, that work ethic, that you know, amateur era. And so it's never, I mean, I, I would be lying if I say the money wasn't great, but it wasn't kind of about the money. I, I loved playing for the All Blacks. I absolutely loved that team. That that team has absolutely shaped me. There's no question about that. It's, it's allowed me to grow and allowed me to do some cool things and it's given me some privilege. Uh, so I owe that jersey everything. Yeah. Uh, and my family owes that jersey everything for the way that our, our family now live and the values of the All Blacks, absolutely, without question about that. But, you know, there's some other players, Normie Maxwell uh, coming to see him, Royce Willis started coming. There's always people chomping at your heels, Ants, and that's yeah. the great thing about our game, right? But John Hart gave me another opportunity to go to the World Cup in 1999, uh, went over there, um, hopefully did what he uh, asked and expected of me in the black jersey. And then that's when I retired in 1999 and, and played uh, rugby in England for the next four years, uh, returning home uh, end of 2003. Bloody good stuff, mate. And, uh, and retirement now, because obviously you've you've kept your foot in the rugby camps. You're doing stuff for Sky, uh, Sky Sport, which you do a fantastic job there. You, your wealth of knowledge on the game is just, uh, you can't compare it to what people have experienced, and it's just brilliant. Now, what you are doing? What are you doing now with your life? Because I know you're getting into multi-sport. Yeah, uh, look, uh, you, what you did the co um, the coast to coast with Rob Nickel or God Zone? Yeah, I've that, done God Zone with you. With, with, you're with not well in the head. That is no. ridiculous. Yeah, that was next level. <laughs> um, 
Funny, when I, when I came back in, in 2003, and before I get into the how I got into the endurance sport, I'd, I'd, I'd been training and, and had this kind of programmed or an organised life for friggin' so long. And I, and I started dreaming at the end of my time with London Wasps, uh, which is an amazing team. The last team I played for in England and thought, okay, I'm going to retire. I'm going to come home and have this normal life in New Zealand, man. No one's going to have to tell me to go to the gym. I'm not going to have to go for a run. And, hey, this is going to be awesome to, to do this life. Honestly, hence that last less than six months, I friggin' hated it. You know, I needed some routine. I needed something to train for. I needed to train because whilst I didn't have too many aches and pains when I was playing and training, when I wasn't training, man, my body was a wreck. Yeah. And I thought, oh, bugger this. There's no way I can kind of continue like this. I know my wife probably didn't like me too much for this grumpy dude that was around. So I got back into training. I uh, got back into exercises, uh, exercising. Gordy Walker uh, was a coast-to-coast champ at the time. Lisa Carrington's coach now is a mate of mine, and we got back into doing biking and yeah. kayaking and running or whatever the case may be. And that just got me into back into things, and I started doing multi-sport and started doing triathlons and done some crazy, crazy epic stuff since. Yeah. And in 2010, you, you got the knock on the door as well, and you got the New Zealand Order of Merit. How special was that for you and your family? Uh, incredibly special and humbling for my family. Um, yeah, your family's put so much effort into your success. Yeah. Uh, and they, they wear the highs and lows more than the player does themselves, I believe. The player is coach, so he handles criticism. He's, you know, that's, that's his life, and I have an opportunity sometimes to put it right or... To enhance it, the, the families don't. They they wear it all the time. So when you become an All Black, you're actually your whanau, your family becomes All Blacks. Um, so it's wonderful for them uh, to have that honour, and, and for me and my wife and my family as well. So yeah, that was that was a wonderful privilege that we we um, yeah hold and, and, and love dear today. But it was really uh, it was nice to be able to give that. Uh, and, and let my mother and father share in that experience as well. So incredible, yeah, very mate. Grateful. Yeah, you're right, man. They are the foundations of your life, and geez, the ups and downs. Like especially even after finishing your all black career, it is so hard just to find that structure again and, and to find another passion that you love. And yeah, mate, it's uh, you've done a great job to where you are today, mate. And but something that really sticks out for me, and uh, it's a testament to how much you love your community, is this little initiative that you've done with your wife Janine. Um, is Friday night meals. What is that, mate? Because it's giving back to the community. It's getting people together, just having conversations, and you're serving food. Yeah, that's been wonderful for my family and I. My wife, who's a nurse, as I alluded to at the start, is an empathetic lady, and she, she's been thinking of this for a very, very long time. And, and we we have a blessed life. Uh, we're, we're privileged. We live in a nice house. We have a beautiful family, and our kids have everything they need, and we work hard for that. But to have that, and you actually got to be able to share that yeah. as well. So that's just really just sharing what we have, sharing our blessings with our communities. So we started a community food kitchen. It happens every Friday night at a Rosmini College. So anyone is welcome to come along. And um, and yeah, we just we just wanted to bring people from the community together. I never ask or question who's coming through the door, but we serve them food, which we supply or our friends and volunteers supply, and sit down with them and just hear about their weeks, hear about their lives, unpack their stories. And it's been great for my kids um, to be able to communicate with other people, hear about other people's 
stories. So that's yeah, that's something that's been great. And you know, and a lot of people out there do the same thing as we do. Ants. The more you give, the more you get back. Yeah. And it's that all paying it forward kind of mentality. That's the kind of the way of life. And um, the greatest gift I believe we can give anyone in life's time. Cost nothing. Jonesy, that's bang on. But just give people time. Hey, mate, you're a special man. That's very good. Let's talk about the current climate in the rugby. The ABs at the moment. Um, you know, we've got this weekend as a big game as well. The Maori uh, All Blacks versus Moana Pacific. That's going to be outstanding. I'm, no doubt you're probably down there commentating the game. Is that correct? No, but I'll be watching on TV. And my we have um, a Maori heritage through Tainui. So the boys will be uh, watching that, supporting uh, the Māori All Blacks, but it's yeah, what a, what a, it'll be a festival yeah. of of the two cultures coming together and playing the game that we love. They'll play it in a really attractive uh, manner. There'll be some structure, no doubt, at some yeah. stage, but it'll just be played as they see it. And the rugby, the way New Zealanders love to see and watch our rugby being played, uh, there'll be so much respect between the two teams. And yeah, it'll be a beautiful way to cap off, which is, as you said at the start, a really challenging year. But the All Blacks have gone over, had their own kind of challenges. Um, I think at some stage they're going to have to learn to hurt more when they lose. Yeah. I, I, you know, without being really close to the team. And I know when you look at the Dane Coles and people like that, they do hurt. Yeah. It, it is ugly. But um, I think maybe it's something that they've lost um, that we'll have to re regather again and I think we saw that the transition from the first Argentinian test to the second yeah. they kind of learned to hurt and and got back on there but yeah that's uh, that's one thing uh, an observation from only from the outside yeah. um, and it's wonderful to see in my opinion anyway a, a Liam Squire back in New Zealand rugby because we need mongrels we need physicality Enforces, we yeah. need to be able to sit in our screens see someone fly into a ruck and go ah man yeah. that's I actually just shot him a message before saying, mate, great to see you back in the Landers in the black jersey. Can't be far off either. That's one guy who actually put, well, he put his mind before the jersey, which you've got to respect. Yes. And he's going to come back stronger. Um, Ian Jones, vast contrast between the two eras that you played in. So when you played in uh, back in the 90s to the all-black team you see today, what are some of the values and, and morals you wish um, that you had from this all-black side back in when you played, and vice versa? None. None. They're the same. Um, understanding and knowing these current uh, players, they understand the history of the jersey. They understand the values that made them who they are, uh, who they're representing. I believe uh, the teams from our era had a lot of, lot of those same values. Um, work ethic, um, you know, training harder than anyone else to produce the results uh, never taking anything for granted, um, you know, a yeah. privilege and a blessing to represent New Zealand. I believe those are exactly the same Amazing. values. Um, so, so nothing and ants. I have well, no question in the world, and clearly the athlete would have to change physically. But some of those great players of the era I played in, or even beyond, um, would absolutely play in this area. Yeah. Not because of the physicality, but because of the mind. And, and if you've got the right mindset, you can play in any era. Um, no question, and, and wouldn't it be great to, to be out there doing what they're doing today? Oh, mate, that's every boy's dream, mate. And, and, and looking at the, the current setup right now, very similar, draws um, very similar comparisons to that 91 side. Um, you know, new coach, new players coming through, 
And um, yeah, we've had a couple of speed bumps over in Aussie, and that's fine. It's character building, and like you said, it's all about the mind. Like, what would you say from your experience and your wisdom to the greater New Zealand public who are sometimes ripping into our All Blacks, just to take a bit of a breather and sit back because we've actually got the best at the helm here, and we're in a rebuilding stage. Yeah, and we're innovators, as I said yep. at the start. So we're gonna we're gonna unpack what happened over in Australia. And we might, I think, what we will do is develop maybe more leaders within the team because every little dip in the All Black. Um, teams I've been involved in is because we've had great leadership, we've lost leaders, and, and, and people have taken a while to step up to become leaders again, but they do. And, and once you get those leaders again, the team will get back on a plane and you know, desire to yeah. uh, will go up. So that will happen again. People surround Sammy Kane and he'll feel comfortable in the next step. We've had this so often in our, in our history, haven't we? These dips and hollows, but and our peaks have been so high over the last yeah. ten years, we kind of forget sometimes we have to have these little dips to rise again. So that I think is, is one thing uh, that we can all take uh, heart in that we will get leaders that come out of the campaign, and we will be stronger for it in 2021. As I mentioned, I hope when they come back and reflect, and not just on this year, but also in 2019, that they that they hurt. Yeah. from those losses and don't want to kind of feel those losses again. And not just superficially, but they actually really yeah. hurt. Um, and I think once you understand that as a player, then you don't want to go through that again. And you do absolutely everything in your power to be the best and you know, do more than anyone else to, to ensure that yourself not going to kind of get back to, yeah. to those losses. But um, losses happen and, and, and losses aren't the worst uh, in all black. We, we don't take them very well, and, and nor we should take them very well. Yeah. But they do happen in life, right? And, and it's how, how, you, um, how you respond from that. And I'm sure we played a lot of rugby with Ian Foster with the Chiefs, and we're going to respond pretty well from this. And, and you know, we're already looking forward to 2021, and we haven't even finished <laughs> this year, which, well, is, which is a rugby way, right? Oh, mate, 100%. Well, those guys are going to have a well-deserved break very soon. And I'll tell you what, when pre-season comes back on in 2021, they'll be hurting because I know they're going to be leading the hair down and having a fantastic time because it's been a hard year. So it's very well-deserved. Um, Ian Jones, thank you so much, mate, for your time this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in New Zealand rugby, mate. This new All Black experience is unreal. I recommend it to anybody who wants to take their family there and um, leave uh, overawed and actually with the hair standing on the back of their, their backs. It's it's incredible. Yep, thanks very much. And look, there's only a, a few of us have the privilege of actually putting on the black jersey, but now all of us around New Zealand and when we finally get overseas visitors come and they can experience what it feels like themselves to, to put that jersey on so it's been wonderful to be part of that and I'm very very proud of for what we've produced and I've, all the players have worn the jersey will feel the same thing I wish um, everyone a, a very Merry Christmas thank you for the time this is my first podcast actually <laughs> hey, and so, you're an absolute natural so, and a wealth yeah. of knowledge mate so, you so should so take this over actually yeah. <laughs> thank you for the uh, for the opportunity and um I hope it's been good chat. Oh, mate, it's been outstanding. I'm actually looking forward to it. Hopefully you've still got your house up in Carmo because I want to come and have a cul-de-sac party with uh, with Blythe and all of them and a couple of Feroz. You know, stay true to the, the Feroz up there. So, um, mate, thank you so much, Ian Jones. You're an absolute legend. Thank you very much.